0: Armoire.style slash envoys. That's armoire.style, A R M O I R E, dot style slash envoys to get 50% off your first month and never have to worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. For many boys, participating in youth
1: sports is where their friends are, where they find challenge and joy, but for you, for your family, it might feel like a little too much. Stay tuned to find out how to balance sports and family life. Stay tuned. This is the On Boys Parenting Podcast. I am your co-host, Janet Allison of boysalive.com and Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net. We are glad you're here. And as always, we appreciate you supporting our sponsors. Is your son involved in baseball or football or soccer or hockey? or gymnastics or swimming. For many boys participating in youth sports is a big focus. It's where his friends are, where he can challenge himself and be a part of a team. At first, you're glad they've found a thing, but the next thing you know, he's playing on a club team or an elite team and your family is traveling every weekend and spending more money than you'd like. Maybe you're feeling guilty because you really don't want to sit through every game or practice. Maybe you're feeling resentful because his sport is taking priority over the entire family. While youth sports are supposed to be fun and a great way to get exercise, practice teamwork, and build resilience, youth sports have also become big business to the tune of $19 billion per year here in the US. That's more than the National Football League. Our guest today is an athlete, a coach, a mom of three, a reporter, and the author of a new book, Take Back the Game, How Money and Mania Are Ruining Kids' Sports and Why It Matters. Welcome, Linda Flanagan. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. So, you know, playing sports Mm -hmm. now isn't quite like it was when we were kids playing Mm -hmm. kickball in the back parking lot. What has happened?
2: Well, as you mentioned in your introduction, there's a lot of money at stake now youth sports have become a giant industry. And this was not the case, certainly when I was growing up and likely when you were growing up, what used to be sort of publicly funded, low cost, local sports options for kids, which is, you know, I indulged in as when I was growing up and my siblings has now, uh, as public funding has uh, retreated, there's private companies and clubs and have stepped in to fill that void. So now, there's more and more options being bandied about before parents. Mm-hmm. So one, one is the money, but that's not strict it's not only money. Um, and I I think second what I identify as the second cause, I think is the most interesting um and that's the change in perspective on childhood and the mm-hmm. changed under our changed understanding of what we owe our kids as adults. Again, when you were growing up when I w- was growing up, My parents were very, you know, they certainly loved me and my siblings, but their lives did not revolve around our schedules. (laughs)
1: Exactly. I was on a swim team. I remember getting up early, riding my bike to practice. My mom never dropped me off at practice. She might've come to the meets, but that was it. That was, I was on my own otherwise.
2: Well, and it was your thing. I'm Mm -hmm. sure she wanted you to do it, you know, like, good Mm -hmm. for you. That's the, you know, I think most parents want their kids to be active, get out of the house. They were all for it. It just wasn't their uh, consuming preoccupation as Mm -hmm. it has become. And that's because of this changed um, understanding of what parents owe their kids in our view of childhood. Children are more scarce. So they're more precious. Divorce rates have, you know, obviously climbed in the last several decades, um, there's exaggerated fear of stranger danger. So, all this has led mm-hmm. contemporary parents to schedule activities in the middle and upper classes, in particular, to mm-hmm. schedule activities.
0: It's so interesting to me because this all happens around us. It's the water that we're swimming in. Exactly. And like fish, we don't see the water, it's just yes. there. And so, you know, I've been parenting kids for more than, than two decades now, and I wasn't fully cognizant. Of that shift, but reading your book and thinking about it. And listeners, here's the part that absolutely positively blew me away. And I want to get to this. Linda, you point out that there may be a bit of a link between our, the parents, the adult obsession with youth sports and centering all of that, and some of our kids' reluctance to grow up and into responsible adulthood. And you say, and it makes sense when you laid it out, if they see that adulthood is like, getting dragged around and sitting on the bleachers, watching the kids have a good time. Like what impetus is there for me to grow up? Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> wow. Yes. Well, now I have to say that was Madeline Levine, the psychologist and author of Price of Privilege. That was her insight. She shared with me, like, what are we modeling here? Mm. We're modeling like adulthood is a big bore mm-hmm. and yeah. that we are sort of just the, you know, the the midwives for their our children's nourishment and entertainment you know our own lives are on the back burner certainly our own leisure or pursuit of our own interests is is you know shunted aside because our job is to help make sure that our children grow up to be the most successful accomplished young adults they can be and our interests don't matter and that i do think it sends a message that like, why would you want to grow? Honestly, right. yeah. you're being driven around and someone's taking care of you and they're cutting up the fruit and providing yeah. Gatorade. And you just you're sit the there s- and go out and perform when you need to. And yeah. then somebody's there to clean up the mess.
1: The center of attention. Mm-hmm. And so that's happening. That's real. So what about that child who is the center of attention, whose dad is in a, you know, they're, Talking over every play and rehashing the game. What is that? What is that message that our kids are getting from this kind of obsession of our of the parents?
0: Yeah. Well, of their performance and their ability to say hit a ball when they are I don't know nine years old.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's I think it's really it's complicated, and I think it it all seems great as long as the kids are playing well. And it's an opportunity for fathers and sons particularly to bond Mm -hmm. certainly mothers and daughters and fathers and daughters too but if you think about it's mainly fathers who coach and they mostly coach both boys and girls Mm
0: -hmm. three
2: quarters of youth sports coaches are men it's an opportunity to bond and that's great and and with if they're not coaching but there's just their child out there in the field again if the kid is hitting the ball and catching and doing well then, then you know, seems all good. It's only when it tips over and it becomes more important for the uh, the parent than it is for the child, or the parent, the child starts stagnating or even mm-hmm. going backwards. Like mm-hmm. then, what happens to that relationship? It mm-hmm. just, it's really like it. I think it contributes to a um, an, a warped dynamic between parent and child because mm-hmm. your whole worth as a child is based on how well you do
1: exactly. And as the adult, you're taking on the status of my child. Oh, my son is the quarterback for the football team. That builds up your ego. Yes. And as you said, you know what happens when they are not doing so good or when they lose interest in this sport that they loved, but they don't love it anymore and they don't want to do it anymore. Yes.
2: Well, and I've heard parents talk about like offhandedly about, you know, their high school child going off to college and just being so devastated about, oh, my God, our social life. I love watching him play. I have
0: heard that from so many mm-hmm. of my basically peer parents, you know, because I did have kids that played sports. I'm not a sporty person and Janet's not either. So there's our bias right now. <laughs> like, okay. This was never going to be my whole world. Which made it easier for me to not get as wrapped up in it. I can see how like if I was a parent and I really enjoyed sports and got a lot out of it as a kid, then it, it, it does feel a little more important to me. You know, you do develop this camaraderie on the bleachers mm-hmm. or on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I can see how that's a loss. And yet it does seem kind of sad when it's like, I mean, yeah, your kid grew up. That's what he was supposed to do. <laughs>
2: Well, I would say what it's mostly is disproportionate. Uh, it's just out of proportion to what's actually happening. And if it if sports your kids' sports have become disproportionately important to you, you're going to be devastated when, you know, they've gone off to college and maybe they are playing or maybe they're not. Maybe their' their sports career has ended. For most kids, it does in high school right. you know, mm-hmm. only six percent of high school athletes go on to play in college. So for most, it's done in high school. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's important as uh, the parent in the room to kind of be honest with yourself about how much does this matter to you? And if you find yourself thinking, wow, this is everything and I'm going to be, you know, beside myself, what will I do with my life when I don't have basketball games to go to? Then, you know, it's time to like recalibrate, I think on the parent's part.
0: (laughs) So often this is, it creeps up. Right. It Mm -hmm. creeps up. Mm -hmm. I read your book and one of your points in there is really basically delay getting your kid even in sports until your kid is basically begging, Mm -hmm. which is great advice in hindsight. And the truth is that a lot of us, you know, our kids are they're active. They're bouncing off the walls. We want them to do something backyard kickball isn't so much a thing anymore because all the other kids are gone and signed up for things. So with great intent, we sign our kids up for t-ball or youth soccer. And then it just gradually escalates before you realize your whole life besides work, your weekends, your evenings, are on the bleachers or on the sidelines.
2: Yes. Or driving somewhere more, yes. of, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of away games. Well, and I do think I, I sympathize. I, I don't, in my, in my advice to parents, I, I certainly don't think that the answers are easy or that, you know, I've got it all figured out either, by the way, I think being aware of what's going on and try and being conscious that there are these outside factors that are, elevating the importance of sports that it's Mm -hmm. not they're not actually any more or less important than they used to be in terms of you know how you turn out as an adult but they seem so much more important that being said i i felt the same pressure i had to get the kids out of the house and what are you going to do i i do think it's important to delay but it's in particular delay the serious sports I think doing rec stuff, Recreation League, local, soon is fine. You know, why not? There's no, I don't see that there's any harm in it. There's harm in it when it becomes all consuming. And it's it's all about moderation and pr- proportionality again, that word. I think it keeping things in perspective and in proportion. I think young kids playing rec games, rec sports is great at a young age. You know, there's mm-hmm. there's not any harm in it. I don't think it's going to give them some giant advantage athletically. I mean, that's a part of this rat race is about let's start them younger and younger, more serious, younger and younger. And that's not helping anybody. I would encourage parents to do is encourage activity at all levels, organized, disorganized, you know, outdoors as much as possible. And if the only option is rec soccer or rec basketball and it's organized, I don't think there's any great harm in that. You know, for the most yeah. part, keep your eyes open, check out the coaches. It's when it gets to, you know, uh, the club, expensive commitment. You have to play two seasons when you're nine years old. Right. That kind of stuff is where I think it's not, it's not a mistake to pause and say, hold on, what are we doing here? How much do you love this? And if your child is absolutely wild about a sport and is like so... Determined that this is really what they want to do. I I would never suggest that that's a bad idea to let them do that if you have the resources. It's just that you had to go in with your eyes open and recognize that there's going to just be more and more. You're going to have to put Mm -hmm. boundaries around it because Mm -hmm. there's going to be more and more requests and demands on your time, on your kids' time. And be prepared to say no, like have some boundaries for where you're going to say, no, we are not going to give up our summer for travel baseball, say,
1: right. or yeah. tra- a
2: tournament in a distant state. Mm-hmm. We're just not doing it and like, we'll ta- will bear the consequences.
1: Yeah. Well, and I'm thinking of a particular client of mine whose son loves baseball mm-hmm. and their summers are taken up with, you know, got to travel to Las Vegas and do that tournament. And it's so much for the family, although they're they're willing to do it and they have the monetary resources to do it. And it's hard to say no when your son loves it, is obsessed mm-hmm. with it.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: bringing that balance in, you're going against the grain.
2: Yes, that's right. Bring, you know, establishing some limits, I think does go against the grain when when others are willing to do whatever, you pay whatever mm-hmm. it costs, do whatever it takes. But, you know, I, I think it also comes back to being honest about what you what you want from this as a parent, what what is the goal here? Are we supporting our child's sport because he loves baseball and if he stops tomorrow, it will have been a good experience? Or are we doing this because, oh well, it's going to help him to get a better college and who knows, maybe he'll be drafted. You know, like mm-hmm. if there's some like big dream down the road, not to say it's bad to have dreams, but that there are very few athletes make it to are even recruited, let alone mm-hmm. play at a higher level beyond yeah. that. Yeah. So if the family can do it, the child really does love it. And it's not affecting other siblings. See, all of these factors yeah. it most yeah. likely is going to affect the other siblings. It yes. might affect the marriage. There's a big cost that I think parents need to be aware of mm-hmm. if they're not already by going through it.
0: I think
1: we would be remiss if we didn't talk about equity here and how youth sports is expensive and it is time consuming and if you you have a family where both parents are working or there's a solo parent this is going to be a tough road. Yes. Well, it's
2: become um a class-based sports youth sports have become sort of class-based. Participation is class-based because so much of sports um the, the real the competition where the action is is in the private stuff. And If you can't afford it or you're a single parent and maybe you have more than one child and you can't be driving all over the place on weekends, maybe you have work at night. Who knows? There's many barriers to participation if you're not wealthy and a two-parent household. And you can just, you know, somehow manage. It's hard enough for the two-parent households who can afford it. It's it's just not going to happen for those kids who come from low-income homes. Well, and...
0: Because of this proliferation of the travel teams, the elite teams, and because many of the coaches, even at that level, are still volunteer coaches, and there's still only so many people willing, all the resources go that direction, and you don't have anybody even left to play in the rec leagues that may be more affordable. So there's a yes. collapse of that, and there's just not options if you can't pay to play.
2: Yes. Yeah, the, the local stuff, it may still exist, but it's like the dregs. You know, Mm -hmm. there's the understanding among the kids that this is like the Bush League program because Mm -hmm. we couldn't afford the All the the good kids have left. Mm -hmm. So it's like the, you know, the low income kids are left with the dreg sort of. So that's why it's so important, I think, for families with means to stick with the stuff, stick with the local low cost programs. And it, it also does so much more for a community. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I saw this in, in our town when our son played um on the rec programs. It was so great because he got to know so many kids in diff- from different neighborhoods. It made the transition to middle school that much easier because he knew these kids from other elementary schools. Suddenly going to middle school wasn't this foreign thing because he knew many kids from these teams. And parents, we my husband and I met all these other parents we wouldn't have met Mm. from different walks of life because our kids were on the same team and we would go to sit there on the sides on a Saturday and they were local so it wasn't like the whole day it was like a nice little a way to spend time with your child and your spouse Mm -hmm. if you have one and with your neighbors in a very kind of relaxing way that's what is lost when it's been when it's privatized and wealthy flee to the best team because they want to give their kid the best advantage to make it to the next level and Mm
1: -hmm. you know the story this episode is sponsored by
0: by heart babies need to eat and whether you breastfeed or bottle feed use formula combine all of the above you need options we wanted to let you know about by heart baby formula So if you need baby formula for your baby, consider BuyHeart. New customers can get 10% off your first order by using code onboys at byheart.com. That's B-Y-H-E-A-R-T.com slash podcast, and it is 10% off your first order. Byheart.com slash podcast. This is a limited time offer, and additional terms and conditions may apply.
1: winona menopause care made easy
0: pushing back and setting boundaries for your family easy to talk about right here Mm -hmm. and it can be so hard to do especially when you've got a kid playing a team sport for instance Mm -hmm. something that i struggle with and i did not have i do not have elite athletes and there was never any uh fantasy about that in my house Mm -hmm. you know i had pretty average kids playing sports at a very, very average level. There were basketball tournaments. There are baseball tournaments on Sunday mornings. Really? Like for me, it was like, when did we not at least set aside time that families could choose to go to a church service if they wanted to, Mm -hmm. but now it's a team sport. So if I pull my kid, then my kid, and then the team is short and I didn't really know, how to handle yeah. that. And, you know, this is a situation that comes up for parents of, of different faiths, different holidays, different traditions. It gets hard to set boundaries when you feel like, you know, I'm going to hurt the team. And then you've got your kid begging, Oh mama, please, please don't say anything. Cause they're concerned about their reputation. Yeah. What advice and encouragement do you have for families faced with those decisions?
2: Well, I think certainly if it's like a faith-based reason, I think coaches generally will respect that, and it wouldn't affect your child's prospects on the team. Say they're not going to punish the child for missing for church. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've certainly coached many kids, Jewish kids who left early on Fridays for yeah, Shabbat yeah. or had um, holidays they had to participate in that precluded them from being a practice. It's like, that's fine. That's no questions asked. And I think. If you go in with that frame of mind and tell the coach or speak to the coach, talk to the coach in advance, especially if it's at a relatively, you know, low stakes level. Look, you know, I'm sorry that Sundays are really important to us. We it, It's our family day. It's our one day of the week. Sorry if this is going to be a problem for the team, but it's, it's, it's a family rule. It's something, you know, just to be kind of upfront about it. Uh, that's what I would encourage parents to do. Mm-hmm. I would also um, try to find other like-minded parents who might feel very much the same as you. And maybe it's not for religious reasons. Maybe they're just don't want, they want to have one day a week for family (laughs) where they're not driving all over the place that you could together talk to the coach and say, look, it's important to us. Do We have this day off, you know, Sunday or whatever day it is, you know, probably Sunday is the most likely because, you know, games and things are often on Saturdays, but I mean, how many Mother's Days did I sit there in the bleachers like, well, you know,
0: yeah. <laughs> right?
2: I was watching the baseball game. It's yeah. um, It doesn't have to be that way. And I think it takes a lot of courage to resist it, but it can yes. be done. And I yeah. think coaches, you know, I've been a coach too. It's not like we're always desperate to like do every last thing. Sometimes we would like time off too, but we feel like, well, maybe the parents want this. We're going to be letting mm. the parents down if we don't do this. And, you know, mm. if you just kind of, make the suggestion how about some like time limits here nothing on sundays or you know yeah nothing friday nights or whatever it is and then Mm -hmm. if the coach doesn't agree you know you have to make a decision then about do you want to stick with it or do you not yeah and take the take the consequences of uh not going to the game
1: Well, and we were talking earlier about modeling, and that is modeling a priority of your family for your child, Mm -hmm. even though Mm -hmm. they might be really mad at you because they didn't want to miss that game. But choosing family above this outside activity Mm -hmm. is good modeling. Yes, I think Let's talk about coaches. What about that coach? Sooner or later, your child, if they play sports for a period of time, they're going to come across that coach.
2: coach. I know.
1: yeah, I know well, i I'm a believer in
2: encouraging kids to manage their own conflicts as best they can. And that's not easy because the coach is in a position of authority. Mm-hmm. And makes decisions about playing time and positions and all of that, and can react really badly to a kid's objections. But I I think it's most helpful to the child to encourage them to do it, especially you know, by high school, in particular mm-hmm. by high school. The coach is being a jerk. Encourage your kid to deal with it. It it depends on like that coach, like there's all kinds of that coaches. (laughs) But when I think of that coach, it's the yeller, the screamer, yanks them out when they make a mistake, maybe plays favorites, is harsh. If the child can't, at at a young age, I think the parents do need to intervene and say, this is not acceptable either to the coach or whoever runs the program. Ideally, I think it should go to the coach because it's better to approach be as direct, as possible.
0: It's like you you talk to to the teacher instead of the principal first. Exactly.
2: Right. Same thing. Uh, And and it's hard to do that. Like, Hey, you're a jerk. You know, can you stop being a jerk? Um, (laughs) But by high school, the more we can encourage kids to be responsible for their own uh, relationships, the better. And that being said, if there comes a time when it may cross a line, that coach's behavior may cross a line, and it's just entirely wrong and inappropriate, maybe it's sexist or cruel or bullying or hazing. I think at that point, it is the parent's duty to step in and object, object to the coach, object to the athletic director. And I don't think parents should have any qualms about that. I do think they should have qualms about objecting when they're unhappy with their kid's playing time or they're not in the right position or why are they, didn't they make varsity? It's really hard to tolerate that when you think your child is being denied an opportunity you know to shine on the field or whatever and you think they're so great and they have untapped talent but that's when parents need to shut up and let their kid manage it but on the other hand when their coaching behavior is bullying or berating humiliating cruel that's when parents should get involved in my opinion
0: it does seem like there is more tolerance for that kind of behavior in sports than anywhere else in our culture right now. And this is on a boys podcast, especially in boys sports. I'm not, yes, you know, I don't have great knowledge of what's going on in girls sports, but frankly, if you do not encounter a coach, who uh, doesn't belittle your son for not being a completely committed player, you know, when he's in T-ball and got distracted by a dandelion and doesn't ridicule his manhood for that. At some point, are you even playing sports? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So I think I want parents to know that. And Mm -hmm. I want them to hear you say it is okay to object to that.
2: Absolutely.
0: We do not need to tolerate our children being um, humiliated or uh, verbally abused. In some cases, I mean, in your book, you write about some examples where the coaching is so extreme and the physical requirements are so extreme. Like that's almost pushing into a physical abuse.
2: It is. It is. Uh, I mean, there. You know, I think some prior generations might call it child abuse. Some of the activities that go on, and I, I do think it's so. It's so interesting to me why it is we carve out. This special dispensation for coaches to be jerks never quite understood that because you know, you imagine a teacher ever conducting himself or herself like some of the lunatic coaches, and they would be out by the end of the day. But there's like a carve out for sports, and I think the more enlightened coaches don't behave that way, and including for boys, boys coaches, um, football coaches, lacrosse coaches in my town. I've spoke to a lot of boys about it and and mothers and many of them there had wonderful experiences for their sons on those teams because the coach modeled how to treat other people respectfully, uh, how to win and lose gracefully, how not to complain. Like there's so much that they can learn that's positive. And at the same time, there's those like Neanderthal mindset that says just yell and scream and yank them off and challenge their manhood and and that stuff just you know enlightened coaches don't do that and better coaches don't do that you know look at steve kerr i always point to steve kerr coaches the warriors you know he's not yelling and screaming on the sidelines that that has kind of been discredited that model has been discredited and anyone who works with kids the psychologists who work with kids say that's not how you motivate them. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's so obvious. Like the beating will continue until morale improves, you know?
1: yeah.
2: Kids do not grow by being beaten up mm-hmm. verbally, you know? Mm-hmm. They don't become better. They may respond out of fear, you know, like they'll behave out of fear. Mm-hmm. But that does not encourage a light, a lifelong enthusiasm for a sport yeah. or, or for trust. like enjoyment and trust in the coach and in the teammates. It's so counterproductive, but it's, Mm -hmm. it's just kind of, it's like a reflex among some old school coaches, but it should not be tolerated.
1: (laughs) Absolutely not. Um, so what are your thoughts around, and I'm, I'm thinking even just early elementary sports, the T-ball, the, you know, youth soccer rec league what do you do when you've your son is in September, he wants to be on the team. And by mm-hmm. mid October, he's dragging his feet to practice, he's complaining, he doesn't want to go. But yeah. you've, you know, you've paid the money for the whole semester. Mm-hmm. What, 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 how do you gauge like, oh, is he just having a bad day, bad mm-hmm. practice, or mm-hmm. this is really a thing? And, I need to let them quit. Do we let them just decide to quit? Or what do we look at as a whole picture around that?
2: Well, I I think I'm a big believer in that you shouldn't continue doing something you hate forever. You know, like, Mm -hmm. well, I made a commitment. At the same time, I think it's um, what I would do. And what I did do was say, you know, if we're going to, if you want to play on this team, great, but you have to stick it out the whole season, whether you like it or not. Unless you have any suspicion of abuse, I should add, that yeah. changes everything. Assuming they're just like tired and maybe they they don't look wild about the coach and their, their friend quit the team and they don't feel like doing it anymore. Mm-hmm. If they made a commitment, this is where you can kind of reinforce the importance of like following through in your commitments. Okay, you have three more weeks, you have six more weeks, stick it out. You don't have to do it next year. And when you want to sign up again, be aware that this is a commitment you're making. So I think it's important to stick to a commitment for a season if you've, mm-hmm. if you've agreed to do that At the same time, if it is, you know, by the time they're in high school, you know, again, finish the season. But, you know, I think some kids have gotten this idea that suffering, this is the supreme virtue. This is, I'm got to demonstrate grit. If I'm miserable, it must be good for me. You know, I don't believe that that's the case mm-hmm. by high school. If they hate the sport, finish the season and be done with it. And there's no shame in that. You know, we can we should be able to move on and try new things. And maybe you're not going to be an athlete. Oh, well, do something else. That's fine. So I think quitting is okay, but I think it should generally be after the season is over. Not including, of course, any kind of abuse.
0: Right. We would be remiss if we don't touch a little bit on uh, the dangers and problems associated with early specialization. Mm -hmm. This happens so commonly and it didn't used to, you know, a three sport athlete used to be kind of the norm for an athlete in high school. And it's not so much anymore. Kids and parents, there's this pressure to baseball is my thing. Lacrosse is my thing. And then you play that for all the seasons because you can now with your travel teams. But what you have found in your research is that this is not beneficial from a physical perspective, an athletic perspective. Or a whole child perspective.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, and of course, it stands to reason that if you're doing one thing year round, one sport, or even just one kind of position, because the specialization goes beyond just like I'm a lacrosse player. It's I'm a you know goalkeeper or you know um, uh, know, whatever the sport is. There are individual positions that they can train for year round, so they just develop a pitcher, say this Mm -hmm. one skill set, and it's it's not it's not healthy, physically healthy. and one way we know that is because there's been this incredible surge in overuse injuries. Um, this is something the sports doctors talk to me about. There's this what they call an epidemic of overuse injuries and overuse are by definition preventable.
0: just think there about are... that for a minute. overuse mm-hmm. injuries, overuse athletic mm-hmm. injuries, in children who are sometimes middle school age.
2: Oh, yes. Yes. And not just in what should, is even more concerning from my point of view is the some of the injuries that are happening that are traumatic that are related to overuse because the body's in a weakened state, like tearing the ACL, mm-hmm. in, which is in your knee, which is the um, ligament that attaches the thigh to the uh, shin and That injury, which is increasingly common, they've soared. The number of these injuries and surgeries to repair them have soared. And this one sports doctor said what he laments so much is that they have become normalized. It's like not that big a thing. Oh, yeah, my daughter tore her ACL. She's in seventh grade. Like what's, I think, really critical for parents to know is not just a short-term thing. That's going to have a lifetime, Mm -hmm. lifetime consequences. 10 years, that kid may have arthritis, you know, so your 23 year old is going to be hobbling up
0: and down stairs. And that's where, again, if we can just pull back briefly, look at the big picture, right? You know, you want your kids to be active. You want them to enjoy something. You want them to enjoy movement. These kinds of early injuries will not might, but likely will inhibit that child eventual adult's ability to participate in sports or, you know, do things with their kids when they're 40.
2: Yeah. That's Mm -hmm. the great irony. I think, you know, that this passion for it when they're young has the effect of eliminating them from doing it when they're older. Yeah. You know, and there was one study I looked at of division one athletes, which, you know, division one is the most serious competitive league and, and it's the most hardest to play for and the most rigorous generally um as one study looked at the outcomes of those athletes 20 years after they graduated mm-hmm. and those who were Division one reported less physical activity, less emotional well-being, worse sleep, these wow. measures of like well-being they did substantially worse than those who weren't athletes. wow and that it's because of the injuries and the the beatings, the bodies, their bodies. Take.
0: yeah, I feel so fortunate actually, that honestly, it's only through chance that I avoided the worst of this, right? My number one, I had four children. So it, it's pretty impossible to go all in on any one. Th- it was hard enough. There were times when I would have three kids, and they were playing at the rec level, but three kids playing in three different places. And there's only two parents. I mean, right, that is impossible. Yeah. So multiple kids made it harder, working class family. So we didn't have all the money in the world. And frankly, and here's the biggest luck, my kids are pretty average athletically. Mm -hmm, And it's mm -hmm. because of that, that we managed to not get caught up in this. Otherwise, it's so easy. It's a very persuasive culture. And Mm -hmm. everybody around you is saying, do it, do it, do it. Well, and Mm -hmm. it's intoxicating
2: also. I think you feel when you're the parent and your child is really good at like, it feels great. Wow. I must be really something. Look at my child out there. I get that. I had that experience and I felt it. And that's something to be cautious about because then it becomes about, ooh, well, look at me. Aren't I kind of pretty cool? Because my child is a good athlete. And it just then it really takes on a life of its own. Well, sure, we'll get the extra batting practice and the strength training and the, you know, conditioning workout on Tuesday nights, because you know what could possibly go wrong, and mm-hmm. then the culture just reinforces this. So, you know, I I I want my book to kind of put a break on it, like hold on, let's I stop like for that. a minute and see what's what's going on here. What are the big things we're not thinking about? What are the assumptions we have about sports that we need to challenge? And what are we trying to do? I think it's it's often so much comes back to parents asking, what is our purpose here? What are we trying to do? Do we mm. want You know, my six-year-old likes to run around. Does that mean, well, I want to cultivate her to be a college runner? It's like, that's probably not very healthy to think of it that way.
0: As we're recording this, it's uh, shortly before the winter holidays, gift-giving season upon us. I'm thinking that it might be a good idea. Like, even if you've got a kid who's super into, name your sport, and he wants the gear, or he wants the strength training classes, or he wants a session with, you know, the the batting coach, that can be good. I'm not saying don't do it, but maybe don't make all the gifts all the time. Mm-hmm.
1: About sports. one thing.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, mm-hmm. we have to remember, no matter how much the kid loves this, your kid is a full, well-rounded person. And we, as the parents, have a responsibility not to make the kid the center of our life, live our own lives, model some well-roundedness and expose this child to other aspects of their world, nurture other aspects of his personality.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause their, their sports career will end and -hmm. it will probably end sooner than we like to think. Yeah. So like you want to have, you want them to be, have other avenues of enjoyment, you know, Mm -hmm. other pursuits, friends, and maybe they like to read and just to encourage other parts of their personalities. And this was something I learned my interviews from some of the athletes, they felt like they kind of limited themselves by just doing one thing so much.
1: I think that is such a good takeaway for parents to really ponder and think about adults are the ones that have to kind of change the track. Because, you know, your son may be obsessed with baseball, and that's he wants all his presence to be about baseball. And Mm -hmm. it's kind of up to us to go and there's these other parts. yeah, (laughs) And we're going to do a family hike this weekend. And we're going to go visit your grandparents, help them to widen that focus that they may have, you know, just because they love this thing, it's narrowed their focus. And as you said, you know, there are a very small percentage of kids that are going to go on to Play a sport in college. Play a sport professionally. I mean, I'm also thinking about the kids who think they're going to grow up and be YouTube gamer influencers. You know, and they're going to make a million <laughs> money on on YouTube. Yeah. It's kind of the same thing. They can see yeah. that. And as you said, dream dreams are great. And it's up to the adults to be mm-hmm. realistic. Right. So
2: yes, and also I think the the less you invest of it. yourself as the parent the more onus it is on them to kind of if they really want it like this is i heard this so many times the good athletes the best athletes if they want it they're going to go get it they're going to find a way whether Mm -hmm. you pay for the batting practice or not they're going to find a way to get in the extra practice they're going to do the work you know maybe they'll earn some money to pay for it those are the kids who are going to do really well because it's coming from them yeah
0: I have seen some pictures on social media of parents with your book on the sidelines or in the bleachers. Uh-huh. I love that idea. Listeners, oh. your book is uh, take back the game, how money and mania are ruining kids sports and why it matters. If you want to affect some change or start some conversations Get a copy of the book, bring it to the game, read it on the sidelines. (laughs) Somebody's going to ask you what you're reading. And I'm willing to bet you're not the only parent. And then you start these conversations.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of parents have deep reservations about what's going on. Yeah. But don't kind of know how to get off the train when they're on it or like, how can they resist when everybody else is doing it? Like, one of us knows what we're doing. I think it's fairly, we parents, we just have kids like, we we do the best we can. But you look around you and, well, they're doing it, I guess. Right. Right. Who who am I to say it's not a good idea?
0: This is support to get off the track or to at least pause for a second. You know, do we want to be on this track? Why am I sitting here on this bleacher at 7 a.m. on a Saturday, two hours away from home? Is this serving my interest? Is this serving my family's interest? Mm -hmm. It is okay to ask those questions. It's healthy to ask those questions. And Linda, I so appreciate you taking the time to talk with us and writing this book because it gives parents space and permission to have Mm -hmm. those questions.
2: Well, thank you. It's, uh, It's very nice to be here and to talk to both of you as well.
0: Where can people learn more about
1: you and about this book? I know there's many articles that you've been interviewed for, for this,
2: yeah, on this um, topic. I have indeed, um, which is great. I'm always happy to do it. Um, well, for, I have a website, Linda Flanagan author and um on Twitter, of course, at Linda Flanagan too, but, and my book can be bought anywhere,
1: any, right. for the most part, certainly on Amazon It's in, mm-hmm. and most bookstores. So mm-hmm. thank right. you. Thank you so much for shedding light on what's going on in youth sports. And Jen, I love your idea of get Linda's book, take it to the next game. I'm all for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Linda. Okay, thank you. Nice chatting with you. We hope you've enjoyed this conversation about youth sports and hopefully, maybe it will foster some questions and conversation in your own community. If you found this podcast valuable, please share it with a friend. And as always, we do appreciate you supporting our sponsors. We are your co hosts Janet Allison of boysalive.com and Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net. And this is the On Boys Parenting Podcast.
0: Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for one twenty-nine each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty-nine a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon.